Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Hello and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, episode number 116. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Sim Ahmed. And I'm Bill Bennett. Welcome along, guys. We've got uh, we've got quite a bit to chat about uh, tonight. Now, first up, new gadget that's just arrived with us uh, from Hewlett Packard. This is their Elite Pad 900. Now, this is quite different to uh, some of the other uh, tablet products that we've seen from HP in the past that are traditionally more consumer oriented, such as the uh, NVX2 that we looked at uh, around the launch of uh, of Windows 8. This one's aimed at uh, very much sort of enterprise and business space. Uh, and looks looks pretty cool. What did you think, uh, Sim, on first handling it? I mean, the device is quite similar to an iPad, isn't it? In terms yeah, of it's got that four by three form factor and similar sort of size and look. It's also got that same kind of feel. The back is uh, aluminum, I think. It feels like it at least, and uh, it's about the same weight. Um, and really, it it looks like an iPad of sorts, uh, just gone horizontal. Uh, I'm really curious about the uh, the. Sl- slip-on attachments that you're showing me before these uh, it kind of turns it into a, a bit more rugged unit but also adds uh connection ports like uh, an sd card slot and uh, hdmi which kind of makes it like a little hot disking client uh device which is pretty cool yeah well it's, it's got a and it's got a full docking unit as well which we've seen um we've seen something similar from uh from samsung with their series t- uh five tablet that came out uh you know with windows 7 and was you know often one of the sort of the popular devices in the lead up to Windows 8, uh, but yeah, that sort of that style of um, being able to dock it straight at your desk and have it link into one or two monitors and all your bits and pieces is it's it's really nice in the way that it it uh, it operates. I'm sorry, um, HP, but it's exactly what I was expecting to see from Lenovo. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen, but it is, isn't it? It's got that businessy. Um, ThinkPad-y kind of feel to it. Well, it's not sort of... I mean, the Think ThinkPad... The, there's the ThinkPad one coming through... Well, there's a couple. There's a ThinkPad Tablet 2 that we looked at last year, um, and, and there's the Helix coming through shortly as well. But, I mean, this one does look a, a very sort of iPad-ish, doesn't it, in terms of the... It does. Um, I, just, I was just comparing the two next to each other, and it's a, it's a little larger than the iPad by about, I don't know, probably about 10 mils in, in length. Um, but it's you're right. It feels the same. The weight and everything. It's it's really nice feeling, and um, and it's got a very good look to it. I I, I know those are Lenovo pads. They kind of have that ruggedized business feel. This is nice, slim. I can kind of see myself carrying it around. It look cool. I, I know it doesn't matter to a lot of people, mm. but it, it is important sometimes just to have something that you have that's good. Well, I think the, I think the thing that the way I would describe that sim is that a lot of the non-Apple tablets are a bit toy-like, and this one is definitely not a toy. This is a tool. Um, what's the processing power on this spot? Um, so this is an Atom dual core 1.8 gigahertz um, CPU. So what that means is it's able to run the full professional version of Windows 8. But it doesn't have the same sort of power as some of those, you know, i5 and i7, uh, you know, devices that we've looked at. But it also means that this is a completely enclosed device. It doesn't have to have, you know, a whole lot of cooling and those sorts of things that the more powerful uh, ones do. And for just everyday use of, you know, basic office apps and so on, I think a lot of people will find that this is this is quite a good go-to machine. Um, and also that ability to uh, 
um, have mobile, you know, mobile capability. So th- this unit that we've got has got uh, embedded 3G, so you can just put a micro uh, SIM card in there. Also in the same, when you open up the space to get at the uh, SIM slot, there's also a, um, um, a memory card slot in there micro as, SD. as well, a micro SD slot. Uh, so you get that extra uh, that extra benefit, which is is quite handy, being able to you know bump up from the uh, base sixty four gigs worth of uh, storage that's included. And it looks like there's a couple of um, HP specific apps on here as well. Um, I haven't had a chance to look at them yet. Yeah, I mean, there's some. They always have some extra bits and pieces for keeping firmware and you know other bits and pieces. Um, you know, up up to date. But yeah, I think yeah. Overall, um, nice piece of hardware. The um, the sleeves are really interesting to me as well. So I saw uh, briefly a, um, one of the first sleeve units that I don't think is for sale here yet that um, actually incorporates a, a keyboard and can also incorporate an extra uh, an extra battery. So um, yeah, I, th- I mean, there's a lot more we could go into around it. But if you're interested in in a uh, a tablet for business use, this is definitely one worth looking at. Uh, online, there's a, you know a few pros and pros and cons that, that really the only sort of major downside I saw people complaining about in reviews were that um, um, that it w- it wasn't the widescreen format that we've seen on other Windows tablet, which doesn't get, which means you don't have that snap to feature with Windows um, eight apps. But I think a lot of people actually still, you know, I've heard people complaining, oh, I don't like the widescreen tablet. I'd prefer one that's more four by three uh, form factor, like the iPad. Yeah. And, and this is exactly that. I prefer that as well. What's mm. the price, Paul? Uh, we, it looks like it's going to be around the twelve hundred dollar, um, you know, as a starting point. Uh, here in here in New Zealand, I haven't actually seen you know all of that info uh, through, uh, but it's and I think it's only maybe 100, 150 more for the three G uh, option. So um, it's going to be it's going to be the kind of thing that corporations buy rather than a BYOD. Device. It's definitely I think a business a business sort of class device yeah. where you know a big corporate might just outfit their their staff with yeah a, you know they might have a few hundred staff and everyone gets one of these uh, so they can use them out and about and then they can dock it at their desk. And, uh, you know, that'll hook into their wireless keyboard and mouse and into a big, you know, monitor like I had it plugged into my 32-inch screen here on my desk. Uh, and, boom, you know, it's working and it was and it was quite snappy for the for the few bits and pieces that I've had a chance to test it on. I mean, over the next few weeks, we'll be able to give a little bit more feedback as we spend some more time with it. I'd be quite happy to work in a place where I get one of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now, there's... Um, there's a little counting uh, game going on at the moment, isn't there? Uh, I guess not not so much of a game. Um, the New Zealand census, as we uh, as we uh, record this, uh, there'll be I guess quite a few people around the country that are sitting there filling out some forms on paper. Uh, but if uh, if the stats that we're hearing are uh, are accurate, um, there'll probably be at least as many, if not uh, if not a chunk more. Who are probably sitting uh, in front of their um, their keyboard and uh, and entering their census form uh, digitally? Yeah, early this afternoon, someone um, it was actually a tweet I saw saying that there was um, a million entries already done online. How many do you reckon are going to be? There's only going to be about three and a half million all up, I would imagine. Well, Stats and Z, um, uh, this is an interesting article on Computer World. Uh, Stats and Z saying that they expect two million uh, by the end of today, and between seven and nine p.m. tonight. It'll be the peak, so that and, makes and it our population's what four point five million, yeah. of which you've got obviously you know children yeah. and infants and and so on who are going to have these filled out by other people. 
Okay, so it's about, so it's about four minutes. So we're about halfway there. Yeah, that'll be more than Australia got in 2011, I think, when they had about 30% of their population go online and do theirs, which is really significant if you consider where we are. And it kind of shows that maybe we can do more of these things online instead of on paper and with pen. I'd be interested to know how much money that would save um, doing it online as well. Well, I guess it depends how you calculate it because there's two sides. There'll be a lot less jobs uh, of people having to go around and collect it. So that saves some money, but there's, you know, there's yeah. people that aren't, you know, unemployed. Um, but yeah, I think this is the way thing, things are going. And, you know, I'm sure it will get better. One thing that surprised me a little bit was, and I, I just filled in the dwelling form on online over the weekend to get a little bit of a handle on how it worked was there's no option to sort of save a draft. So I was partway, I thought, I'll just have a quick look at this, and we're about to head out. And uh, then I had to say, uh, either I leave the 17 questions that I've filled out, uh, and the time will, it's gonna, it says it's going to time out after 60 minutes and I'm going to lose everything, or else I just sit down and finish off the form, which is what I did. And the form wasn't too long, but if you're doing the main census, it's that's actually, that's a, you know, there's a fair bit to fill out, and there's no way for it to... Uh, you know, sort of cache and, cache and capture that. So if you get interrupted part way and think, and you know, come back to it half an hour or say an hour later, uh, you're going to be starting all over again, which yeah, I, th- I, I thought was a bit rough. I did that earlier and um, it was about half an hour, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did get a call during the middle of it and um, I did have to drop out, but it was still there when I got back. Actually, that, that reminds me of something else that I saw today the uh, Mighty River Power. Um, register online you have to scroll down about 50 goddamn countries before you get to New Zealand to pick New Zealand. Yeah. I, I have yeah. to say this I think that website has done no service to the government's plans to sell this uh, it, firstly they didn't announce it was going to be actually available from 10 a.m. they just said it's going to be announced today and then people were looking for it online yeah. very confused very and, hard to find and, and yeah. then it crashed it which is kind of understandable there's a lot of people on it but even after that's it, not understandable in this day and age yeah actually I, I, i'm gonna not forgive them for that but then <laughs> it reminds me of the north korean government website. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow that's a or, long or, string or the them. uh or the uh transit um you know toll collection system for the uh oh, you know no. nor- northern gateway where they you know just didn't uh, didn't secure their credit card uh, transaction yeah. just you know yeah. very very yeah, poor, yeah, poorly done uh, but, project. Know, so let, let's, yeah. These guys, they're not in business. They they don't have to make money from it. They don't care. Yes. All right. <laughs> well, um, there, there we are. So uh, anyway, so yeah. Um, so census, I guess, you know, most people, that if you haven't caught this live, we don't catch it, um, you know, as soon as it goes online, you probably will have filled it out. Um, we will be interested to hear back from people, um, you know, how you found that? Uh, how you found that experience? Uh, now, last week we had uh, big announcements, which we did, um, which we were sort of uh, uh, picking in advance uh, from Vodafone as being the um, the 4G LTE mobile network launch. Um, what did you guys uh, think? Some you've had a little bit of a play around with one of the new uh, 4G handsets. You've been you've been using the. Um, um, the very stylish new handset from uh, Sony, the Xperia Z. Yep. Have you been using a 4G SIM in that? Or no, not? I'm on two degrees, unfortunately, which is um, at this point not even in the race for 4G. Uh, <laughs> it might be later next year. Um, but I was at the launch, and um, it was really interesting, interesting to see the types of speeds you can get. Uh, 100 megabits per second down is... Uh, 
theoretically what we can get on category three devices, as they were saying, which is what we're mostly using. Um, but with that kind of speeds, it's just making me feel like that's better than what I have on my landline at home. Uh, I, I wish I had a better data plan to make it actually so I can switch over to that as my main ca- uh, carrier. But Well, um, I guess that, that highlights the difference between you know how long it takes to roll out fixed infrastructure and how long it takes to roll out mobile infrastructure oh, right yeah. you yeah, know I mean, so we, we i mean we know that to roll out ultra fast broadband it's you know the better part of 10 years to do that project mobile will do some software upgrades some other bits and pieces behind the scenes and you know it's not quite boom but um it, it's it's pretty quick in the scheme of things and vodafone is saying by the end of the year um you know the the you know the majority of their network will be uh you know delivering these, um, yeah, well, the ability well, to connect over um, over that 4G network. The way I look at it is this. I'll get ultra-fast broadband down my road this year, but it'll be from Vodafone, not from um, Crown Fibre. And that's, you know, Crown Fibre could take another six years to arrive in my suburb. Um, judging by what happened with the, the um, Chorus Cabinet rollout, we were the very last suburb, I think, in Auckland to be connected we're probably going to be the last suburb to be connected to UFB. So for six years, my ultra-fast broadband is going to be wireless. You know, figure that one. And and, 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 and the fact is, is what's happening, I mean, we discussed this before on the podcast, that in places like South Korea, where people have got 4G, they're not buying fibre. Or, or you know, fibre is very much a sort of a specialist market. I think what we might see is uh, the kind of model that's taken up in places like Singapore where fiber becomes what you use to view IPTV as opposed to yeah. your main internet source. It's what the TV, chan- uh, the TV networks provide you to push their uh, content to you as opposed to something you use to do your work or business, which might move on to this yeah, mobile. I, I think where you've got multiple, right. multiple users, you know, it's essential to have that type of yeah. uh, you know, bandwidth and also the download caps that are... Yeah, obviously on 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 mobile from talking to Vodafone and Telecom, and 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 two degrees. You know, I haven't really had any strong indications that we're going to see a massive uptick in terms of the the size of the data caps mm. that uh, yeah, you know I'm that, that so we sure have about that. because there's a there's a you know limited uh, limited bandwidth available. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that because um, I was talking to a friend of mine who was here from the UK, who was asking me about the data caps on mobile, and I said, well, what are you getting? He said don't know i think it's unlimited i've never had to worry about how much data i download and i said what you mean movies and stuff he said yeah i can download movies multiple movies on my phone network for no extra cost i don't know whether it actually is uncapped but you know most of them seem to have these fair use type policies is what is what we're seeing uh, you know, I haven't heard of you know 50, yeah. 50 gig or 500 gig data caps on But the thing is, is that once the competition kicks in, once the third carrier has 4G, then what are they going to compete on? They can, they can compete on service levels and data caps. Yeah, um, we, Well, I think that's something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. that's a good day for all of us. <laughs> yeah. um, unfortunately, the CEOs of Telecom and Vodafone have said for quite some time that they aren't going to be playing at the data cap game for quite for some time in the future they are happy they're su- what we have right now is sufficient as russell standard said on uh, last that's week that's what he said last week didn't yeah it? but Which, they haven't bought their 700 megahertz spectrum yet and the, um the there was um there was something posted on the um, um radio standard site today about that the spectrum auction 
And I, was having to, I had a quick look at it, and it looks to me like there's going to be room for a fourth player to get into that spectrum. So, you know, it could be competitive. We could see a competitive market here like you got in places like South Korea and so on. Um, well, Woosh still exists as a as an internet provider that have used sort of mobile type spectrum to deliver service. It's you know it's quite feasible, uh, you know that they might uh, you know bid for for uh, spectrum. I think they had a play with the WiMAX technology, which is one of the other sort of yeah. you know so called four uh, G um, uh, you know wireless Tenders. technologies, and and you know of course that's really fallen by the wayside now, and you know even in the US where um, you know there were sort of nationwide. Um, um, you know, networks of that nature. All of those things are moving to uh, to LTE. So, yeah, that would be fascinating if we if we saw a, a provider that was um, yeah purely focusing on data going uh, going down that direction. Uh, now, Evernote. Do either of you use Evernote? Yes. Yes. How did you feel about the? Uh I've just come to expect that every cloud service I use, I'll need to reset my password at least once a year just because something's going to happen. They're going to have some security drama at some point. Yeah, I was annoyed because I'd actually written something about it, whinging about it, and then pretty much within minutes of posting, in came the email from Evernote telling me to change my password, which was a bit slow. I mean, it was about about 16 hours after the breach, Mm, and that's mm. not good. A company like that really should have someone sitting back you know, in the corporate HQ, Tracy Island or whatever it is, and saying, "Oh hell, we've had a breach. Let's let's tell everyone now." Um, that wasn't good. That was pretty poor show. Yeah, I mean, it seems that these um, the services that are certainly from the sort of the consumer you know end of things with what are often free or lower cost type services. Well, that's it. Um, it Dropbox free? too. Uh, obviously, we've seen you know Yahoo's extra sort of. Uh, you know dramas recently but it, it seems that at that sort of end where you've got a massive user base they tend to be uh, you know targeted quite frequently and, and we do end up with issues sometimes the issues are from inside the organization I think it was Dropbox that had the issue where they sort of accidentally turned off the security and anybody could access anybody's you know data for a while if How I do remember, you accidentally if, I, if, 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 if I remember uh, correctly on that one and you know I know we, we've seen these issues sort of ongoing but you know to me it sort of highlights that it is important for you know for you know if you've got really important data to think very yeah. cautiously about where you put it if it is something that's really important and certainly uh, you know from a business perspective uh, you know, look more to the business-oriented uh, you know, services that have sort of started in that direction. Well, I was wondering a about bit it from more. a different direction, which was how much do you actually have to pay to get a business class service with something like Evernote? What would be, not, not what would they charge, but how much would it cost them to provide you with that level of service? It can't be that much. It, you know, it, it can't be more than 20 bucks per customer per year to I have to get put in another perspective. I pay five dollars a month on Evernote because I uh, need more notebooks than the average person. Mm. And up until that breach, I've had excellent service. I've had great uptime. I've never had any real problems with the service. So I'm wondering, it, it, do we sometimes see this one breach and think, "Oh, the service is useless. We have to attack it," as opposed to what what happened to that six years beforehand? Yeah. Where did all that pedigree go in that one? Breach. And maybe that's a part of the communications thing is they need to be better at telling us things have happened so we remember, well, we had good run. Let's just fix it now and move on. 
And I mean, yeah, there are there are always going to be you know issues with with technology, or maybe one day in the in the uh, you know distant millennia, there will, you know everything will be absolutely perfect. But uh, no, it, it it is it is a good point. But I think it's you know it's also important to look at you know a product has been designed for say the mass market, um, as yeah. opposed to something that's been designed around you know security and auditing and all these other sort of layers that you know that that um, you know business and government type customers will you know will require and you know hence why we've still got so many uh, you know we, we look in the in the US at uh, Blackberry it's still got a very very strong uh, market share um, you know one reason you know being how heavily it's adopted by government um, from that security perspective that they're very very keen to be as secure as possible um, so that that's always a you know a, I guess a driver in particular spaces. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think, but I think Sim's got a good point there. Is that one breach in six or seven years, and it's not it's not a fatal breach. I don't think any data was actually stolen, was it? Um, well, it's kind of hard to know. <laughs> yeah, they they don't tell you that stuff. So they tell you things like well, you should reset your you, password. And you've got to presume that they're that you know you've got to think that they're they're being yeah. as straight up as they can be. I, I, I think they'd get in a lot of trouble if they were, you know, deliberately. Uh, dishonest, but you know, from their perspective, they can't see any, uh, you know, any sign of it. But um, yeah, we look back on the the dramas that I guess Sony had around around yeah. PlayStation, uh, you know, network. There, I guess there's there's a whole range of levels that organisations can focus on security, and you know, and in some cases, but and it seems to be more those consumer oriented sort of okay. uh, you know products. It is. Um, there, you know, there, there, there can be more holes than something that's designed with security as kind of a focus, well, core focus from the get-go. What's the worst thing that can happen if your Evernote account is hacked? I mean, in my case, I've just got business stuff that I keep there. And I think it's probably fine for a sort of one, two-man band, those sorts of things yeah. where you, you know, you're doing something. But if you're a big, you know, organisation that's yeah. got, you know, other people's data within your, you know, your files and so on, um, yeah, you potentially can get into hot water. There might be information about, um, you know, share market launches and, you know, other yeah, things, yeah. you know. I mean, it depends what sort of business you're in, what sort of confidential, you know, data that you would carry. But uh, I think most businesses would like to know that what's theirs is theirs and is, uh, you know, kept away from prying eyes. Uh, but there's also the the other situation, which I think we saw uh, in Australia some weeks back, is... Um, uh, you know, business networks that have uh, been left and have not been secured properly, and I think it was a, a medical centre of some form that um, um, their, their network was breached and it was taken over uh, by criminals that basically said, look, you need to pay us out all this yeah, money, yeah. otherwise you cannot have your data back. And they'd had an issue with their backup. Maybe these guys had been in their network for a period and made sure that backups weren't running. Uh, but you know it was such that they needed the data that was on their system, and these guys had got in and basically encrypted their own data and weren't going to allow them back in unless they uh, fronted up with hundreds of thousands of, that's right. of dollars. That's so right. But there's there risks story. from all directions. Well, there's there? another story about exactly the same criminal gang who tried it on with another bunch in Australia, and apparently there's this old systems um, op type guy who'd been around. You know, probably older than me been around forever and he insisted on backing everything up to tape every night <laughs> and um, of course when they which, came which is the, what should be done yeah right? which is what should be done uh, but people thought he was a bit crazy you know this old guy backing up to tape what a mad thing to do and of course they were back online within an hour and they could tell the crooks where to, where to stuff it so 
Except the crooks probably would still be able to get in using the same method they got in beforehand, yeah. unless they worked out how to lock, you know, how to lock it down, which which I'm sure they did. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I yeah. think you'd be locked down <laughs> at that point. Yeah, uh, but it's best not to get into that position in the first place, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So an interesting one there. Now, uh, Apple and Samsung, of course. Uh, there was a huge amount of coverage around, you know, the um, the litigation between between these two uh, last year, and uh, yeah, Apple being very triumphant with their award of you know over a billion uh, US dollars against uh, against Samsung, uh, but apparently this has been uh, been chopped back uh, at this stage to uh, around six hundred uh, million, uh, but that, and the rest of it sort of sitting in uh, in dispute for uh, review by the. Um, uh, by the judge. Well, let's put this into perspective. What kind numbers. of money do these two companies make each year? <laughs> you know, it's probably what a few days, a few days income. It's not, you know, it's a billion dollars here, billion dollars there. You know, <laughs> Samsung and Apple we're talking about. It's not. I mean, it sounds it's a huge amount of money, but it's to these people, it's not that huge. And um, you know, there's, there's 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 a bit of this sort of corporate macho thing going on that there's fighting these battles as well um it does seem you know that both of them could just choose to walk away from this one yeah i mean does it mean anything that apple won this won this case and now you know what does it mean that uh uh, that this is being slashed back by the uh, now they have the rights to all rounded rectangles i I really don't think it means much more than they've got one thing in the precedence box that they'll use in the next court battle it's going to be one of those ongoing war of attrition type situations where it, it, they're just going to fight each other through this proxy legal battle. Are we, are we going to get to a point where they sign an agreement like Apple and Microsoft yeah. did, you know, way, way back when, and, you know, Apple were coming after Microsoft saying, you can't make an operating system controlled with a mouse and so on. And it, it feels does. personal. It feels more than just the legal. It feels like Steve Jobs, before he left, said, look, I don't like these guys. Make sure they don't survive. Let's do everything we can. That's it. Just feels that way to me. Yeah. Well, I was going to say. I, was, I think you're right, but I think something else. Just because you're innovative and very, very successful doesn't stop you being a patent troll. No. Good point, Bill. <laughs> very good point. Anyone can be a patent troll. <laughs> you just need some patents, and <laughs> yeah. uh, most of the big players have got plenty of them. All right. Uh, now. Office 365 from Microsoft. Now, of course, this is their, um, you know, traditionally been their their uh, online, uh, you know, suite of, of services, and they've expanded it out earlier this year with a, uh, a consumer version of Office that they now label Office 365 that under a cons- uh, subscription, uh, you know, situation. So really, I guess Office 365 um, refers to Microsoft's Office subscription services, which can include both the Office application and can include those server pieces that you know <laughs> businesses traditionally you know installed on their premises, Exchange, Server, SharePoint, there's uh, a, Link. A, but it's getting a bit confusing, isn't it? Well, I was going to say there's a branding issue here, isn't there? <laughs> there's some kind of branding issue because you're quite right. I thought that we had the prices for Office 365, and then along came this story about the office prices for Office 365. What it would have been called the business edition, the small business edition, whatever you know the um, the different SKUs that Microsoft always talks about. The stock code units. Yeah, the <laughs> stock code units. Yeah, um, and you know, talk about 
artificially breaking the market up into sectors and charging them differently and confusing the hell out of everyone. Well, they've always had. I think they've always, to be fair, they've always had a, a you know a varying levels of product at at the business yeah, end. They have. Um, and they're, you know, there are they're really only a small number of options for the, uh, I guess at the at the at the consumer end of things. But there are still a range of business options, and and in yeah. fact, with this release, they've added in, um, you know, they've added in some offerings. You know, before we had the enterprise option, uh, and the and the well enterprise options and the small uh, business options. Now we've got, uh, you know, we've we've got some midsize sort of, uh, you know, points this, as well. This is the SharePoint version, really, isn't it? Uh, well, when you normally when you buy Office three six five, you know, in the past it's been um, a subscription to access a, a cloud or yeah. you know virtualized um, hosted environment of Microsoft Exchange Server, which is their email product, which has been wildly successful, I guess, over the last you know ten yeah. to fifteen years. Uh, SharePoint, which has you know gro- certainly grown into a into a big business for them, you know, over the last few years as well. Um, and and then Link, which is um, you know growing as a uh, you know as as a tool for uh, um, you know video conferencing and calling. It's like and, a PBX replacement. And yeah, uh, yeah and replacing yeah. a you know, whole phone system in a business yeah. uh, in, environment. So yeah, originally when you uh, would sign up to Office three six five, you were getting those elements, and then um, you know the other part you were able to get was a. Um, a subscription to Microsoft Office itself, yeah. which was a change from the old school way of sort of, you know, buying Microsoft Office on a, in a license agreement or, or as a package product. Uh, so, yeah, we, and, and we're still seeing that as Office 365, but now we've got, uh, you know, we've got extended options and we've got that, um, you know, ability for a consumer to go and buy uh, mm. a, a so-called Office 365, uh, which is really just a subscription in, in most regards, a subscription to Microsoft Office, but they are bundling in uh, 20 gigs worth of um, SkyDrive um, storage with that uh, and an hour's worth of calling on Skype. So they're, they're doing some smart yeah. stuff with throwing in some sort of uh, value adds I there. Think, I, think they've, I think they've got that side of the equation right, but I've heard a lot of squealing from businesses about the price of um, the business version of 365. Have you been hearing that at all? No, no, I haven't. I mean, it's certainly, uh, you know, I think the the... Part of the reason why it seems to be uh, growing is that it tends to be cheaper than uh, running those servers and so on in house for for a business. So there does there seems to be quite a quite a swing towards it away from running the traditional I think services. I mean, it's at a premium price point compared to uh, Google Apps, but because most businesses are already running Microsoft systems, their staff know how to use them. Um, you know, the natural uh, you know swing for those certainly for larger businesses. Uh, you know, is, is to stay on the same the same platform. A little bit different with startups and so on, um, who have really only had the choice in the past of, of you know of Google Apps as, as an option until three six five came along. Well, uh, yeah, I've been looking at it. My, from, I've been looking at it from a very personal point of view, and I I decided I came to the conclusion in the week that so I'm probably going to be buying the um, the personal edition of three six five, but I don't really need it. I could probably get by with the web apps. Um, which uh, which are free. But yeah, you did an interesting blog post about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I could get by, but I just don't. I mean, apart, apart from anything else, it's my sort of professional curiosity about what's going on, and needing to stay in touch with what business is doing, as opposed to going out on a limb. But the other thing is, is um, I don't know. It's it, 
Microsoft's pricing structure is, is really quite strange. And I, I, I think it's the, um, the gateway drug syndrome, you know, that get people hooked on the, the free stuff. And, oh, we've got this... Bumping a few more features yeah, for, the, for the paid options. A bit harder over here, but, you know, you can take it. And um, and I think that that's a that's a sort of a common model, isn't it, yeah, these yeah. days is the, the freemium model where, yeah. you know, look, we're going to give you a bunch of stuff for free. Uh, you know, I mean, we see something similar, you know, with, with Google and, 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 and their, you know, app offerings. There's a bunch of stuff that you can get for free. But, you know, once you get to a certain uh, point, then uh, you need to start paying some, uh, you know, some money. Yeah, yeah. Well, I figured that I've got four, there's three people in my house who need office, so the the you know the three six five home package is a really good price. Uh, it's it's about fifty dollars each. I think fifty five dollars each. That's that's great. Mm. Um, yeah. So what is it? One hundred sixty five. I think one hundred sixty five dollars a, a year. Yeah, that kind of price. Yeah. Yeah, for for your office subscription, you have yeah. to pay it each year, but you can install on uh, up to five devices, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah. it's you know it's a good deal. Um, the business one, it's a good deal because you don't need servers. You don't need, you don't need to have the broom cupboard full of cranky old Dells and things. You know, danger of failing. People have to come in on the weekend to fix it all and so on. Um, it's great from that point of view. Still a transition though. I think you know most businesses that have got servers today, you know, can't necessarily just turn everything off and move to three six five because there are functions and you yeah. know capabilities they need to run in house. You know what 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 we've seen, uh, Gorilla, is that uh, you know, for newer and smaller businesses, we might be able to go you know entirely cloud based. But you know, for other businesses, there is usually a transition. And if you know, if we look at it over the longer term, with you know ultra fast broadband and you know much better you know connections to the internet, then the requirement to have infrastructure in house, um, you know, will 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 I'm sure you know disappear entirely in most cases. And and there, are, I mean, there are obviously ways to do that today. Sometimes it costs a little bit more to host those servers, you know, outside your premises, or or, or a lot more depending on your capabilities and storage and the, and those sorts of things. But it's it is very much moving away from having a lot of infrastructure. Except on as site. we talked about with Evernote. I would still have some form of local backup. Yeah, I know it's old-fashioned. Yeah, I know I'm a bit boring saying it, but you know, until these securities tied down, I'd still have mm. some form of local backup. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things we often see in small businesses is you know backing up individual uh, individual machines now, and yeah. some you know some really good ways to to do that across the network with something like a small business server, yeah. uh, you know, from Microsoft or the Windows Server Essentials they've got today. So some of those tools, you know, they still play their part for having. Having uh, you know hardware and infrastructure um, on site. You still with uh, Office Sim? Yeah, I actually use Office three six five for work. We have a enterprise account, I think. Mm. Um, again, uh, nomenclature. I'm completely yeah. uh, screwed up because I have no <laughs> idea what branding is right now. It works well enough for what we need to do. And uh, my thinking always is never underestimate the power of the receptionist because she's the one that has to use this office for since you know they started working they're the ones that are going to control what your company ends up using because it's the average user that's been using this for so long that just won't be able to switch off completely to something like google apps what do you think they should call the business edition then office 375 office 465 Or just make it easier for me to figure out in a little you know one of those side-by-side comparison bars yeah 
It's just office. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, so three six five. It's out in the mar- out in the market now. Um, now one of the one of the probably the frustration points that we we've heard, and and I guess this is sort of r- reflects back on Microsoft's legacy of you know producing new software versions each year, and uh, you know they're sort of the opposite to Google. Google. Uh, you know, were, everything was sort of you know born of the cloud, as it were. You know, their their uh, you know their offerings have been cloud based from the from the get go. That you know they don't have a uh, you know a fat app that you can you know a full blown app that you can install locally, uh, and they just keep doing updates you know as they go, which probably has some has some uh, annoyances to it if something changes that you you don't like and it just sort of uh, happens, or if you know if something goes wrong. But in general, I think that's worked pretty well for them. Uh, but Microsoft, are, you know, have still got. Um, Exchange, for instance, is one of their Office 365 components. Uh, as something you can be installed on your premises, and you can have that mixed environment between what's installed, you know, your office plus something on the cloud as well. Uh, but the the frustration that we've been hearing is people that are on Office 365, they've been early adopters, you know, they got it ahead of this new uh, new wave of products, and uh, the new waves come out, and they're told, yes, you're getting the new version this year. Hold on, it just came out last week. I would like it now. Well, if you sign up for a brand new account, you can have it right now. So the accounts don't roll over. So the accounts will roll over to the new version, but because of the nature of how the software is architected and and so on, I guess Microsoft are taking a cautious approach. And it's going to take them probably you know more than weeks. It's going to take them some months to get people uh, onto the new versions. Now, probably in the future when we go to the next wave, you know that won't be an issue, and they've already been doing quarterly updates on Office 365 in the previous iterations. But to make this big leap to all the new versions of this big suite, it's actually going to take them some months to do, uh, which I can I can understand some uh, you know some businesses being quite frustrated that. Uh, it just that, puts that you being, off that being, being an left early behind, adopter right? next time. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's going to well, be. You sort of wait for the new version to come out. And I then, want to wait and then for version 3.1. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that's something that, that they will fix over time. But, but hang, uh, hang on yeah. a report. So they're saying we can't change all our servers at once. However, if you pay us money, we can. So what you could, what you could do, for instance, is to say sign up for a brand new account, yeah, transfer yeah. all your stuff off your old one. You'd be running the new stuff right now today. But if you're an existing customer, you will have to wait until they tell you, "Hey, we're going to be uh, bumping you up to the to the new version." Yeah, that's not the dream you're sold with cloud computing, is it? No, no. <laughs> so um, a, a little bit of a chink there in uh, in Microsoft's armor. Uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep watching this one, and you know, I hope we'll be hearing a, a story that that, uh, that that improves next time around. Uh, now, TVNZ. They released uh, in the last, I guess, in the last week or so, their um, their new on-demand app for uh, for iOS. Uh, so that works on uh, iPhone and uh, and the iPad. Have either of you guys um, had a little bit of a look? I've been playing around yes. on both the iPad and and the iPhone. Uh, quite a bit for Stoppress. Uh, I've even talked to the guys who are behind the app, and it's very interesting just the work that's gone on behind the scenes. Uh, it's built in three parts, like TVNZ has the assets, then their agency built the layout, and then this company in the U.S. built the actual player. Oh, okay. Because it, 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 the iPad needs a special, uh, iOS needs a special DRM system in order for them to buy content. To it's secure so, the video. So Because yeah, I guess you've got all of these you know, studios that are making the TV programs and the, and the movies and so on, and they've got to be really confident if they're going to allow 
TVNZ to distribute these digitally. They don't want uh, you yeah. know TVNZ to distribute it, and then suddenly everyone you know downloads it and republishes That's it back why onto the internet. Dig- right? uh, it's regionally locked to New Zealand. Uh, you can't feel it outside. Uh, I, I did notice something else that um, uh, uh, Twitterer, I think it's Chris Bain, pointed out, which is uh, you can't uh, connect it through AirPlay to your TV or through any type of HDMI. Uh, it does have a little note in the error message that says maybe in the future we'll be able to do this, but uh, that's kind of annoying for people who want to use this as their uh, as a remote for their Apple TV media center uh, set up. Yeah, that's exactly what I'd want to do with it. Mm. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I think I think it's still useful, and and that is the reason that we have seen that with this uh, and with others is really very much around. You know, managing that content and making sure that it doesn't get stolen. Although, you know, as we see, you know, every major movie and TV program ends up as a digital download, you know, fairly quickly anyway. Uh, but this, you know, they, I guess they want to stop their digital stream being used in, in this manner at, at as many points as possible. TVNZ does have um, an obligation to the content providers to at least put up a show that they are fighting piracy and things like that. So I guess. They have a reason for this. It does make the barrier to entry, or at least the usefulness to a lot of people, uh, less significant and annoys people more than anything. But I can understand where they're coming from. The app itself is great. Um, I've been using it quite frequently. Uh, I, just, I don't actually like TV and Z content very often, uh, very much. But <laughs> but uh, you know, if their app is good, I'm just going to be more likely to use it. Yeah. Well, I, I was testing it out, um, or the the on demand actually uh, from my laptop over. Um, actually over uh, Telecom's sort of 4G uh, trial network and, yeah, found that was working quite well. And, uh, yeah, then jumped to it on the iPad and, and the iPhone, played on it as well. And, uh, yeah, seem, seems to work uh, very nicely. Thank you very much. And uh, for the Android fans, uh, there is uh, an app in the works and should be out soon, according to the people who developed it. Uh, but I think it's going to be limited to pa- uh, Samsung tablets only. There are some of those sort of exclusive agreements, and I think the apps available on Samsung smart TVs at the moment, I think that was part of an exclusive you know arrangement as well. Those tend to work as a sort of you know Samsung someone maybe they they you know they might contribute to the cost of development or something, uh, and in return they'll get an exclusivity for say three months or six months, whatever the period is, and then it will become available more broadly. Is is what I would pick anyway. I don't think that's a, a long term play from TVNZ to you know only only be on one uh, one manufacturer's uh, device. I would say it's good for it's good for Samsung, but it's not good for Android at all. Yeah, but these things will, you know, as I yeah. say, they'll, they'll they'll end up on on uh, on more platforms. Uh, now, the other thing was, I you know, I talked about trying it out on the uh, the laptop with uh, Telecom's uh, 4G, which of course I was limited to their test area. Uh, but with um, Vodafone, of course, having launched their 4G network, I was able to try that out uh, on the iPhone, and um, you know, being outside of Wi-Fi coverage and over the 4G, and that worked flawlessly as well. So. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to Vodafone broadening out that 4G LTE coverage. I think it's about 30% of Auckland at the moment, and not not you know much else uh, anywhere else around the country. But uh, but that's gonna that's gonna come um, throughout the year, right? So I think Christchurch is up next, yeah. and and then Wellington May. sort of August September. Uh, yeah, May for uh, for Christchurch, isn't it? I have to defend Vodafone here. Some people have been complaining on uh, Twitter and uh, forums saying. Uh, obviously, they're going to go with Auckland. Uh, they're not thinking about the rest of the country. I think it's great that they're even going to Christchurch in May uh, and then rolling out to Wellington 
quite soon afterwards in the year. It's a, it's a, to me, it seems like they're doing the right thing here and they're getting 30% of Auckland first. Then they're going to the second biggest city in the country and then they're going to Wellington. It seems like the right way to go about well, it. Well, yeah, except I think they've raced it out early in Auckland, uh, probably a bit undercooked in terms of the network build. Obviously, for competitive reasons, they needed to be first. They probably got wind that there was an announcement from the competitor coming. Um, because, you know, if you think, if you actually step back and think about it, why would you roll a network out to 30% of a city to about, you know, half a million people? It's a, it's a bit, it is, it's a bit undercooked. You could well, probably... you, you could say the same of telecom rolling out a, you yeah. know, a, a, tr- a trial of 4G yeah. on network frequencies that, you know, m- may never end up actually being used in in the real world. I mean, there's always a marketing aspect to these things, getting that attention, yeah. being first. But um, I'm pretty happy about having, uh, you know, 4G oh. av- available. Uh, I'm not you complaining know, about right it being now, here. So uh, no, no complaints. Um, actually, one of the other bits that was around the um, the 4G announcement was we got to have a play with some new handsets. Now, some you've got um, the Sony Xperia Z there, which we mentioned before, uh, but there was the, also the HTC One, which um, got it got announced a few weeks ago. We didn't actually end up having um, much of a chance or any chance to to discuss it on the the podcast the week that it was announced. But we got to have hands on with that as well. Um, really stunning handset. What did you think of it, Sim? Uh, I didn't actually get to play with the one, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah, I, I did see it, and it it, it, it looked good. It kind of <laughs> looks like um, you know some sort of iPhone crossover, very sort of iPhone light, but really nice, yeah. um, solid build, but an iPhone sort of esque uh, styling to it. And I think what we've got here from Sony and from HTC are, are two really strong, you know, handset releases. Nice. You know, good sized screens, but that full high definition. Uh, you know, a feature set that I think with the Galaxy S4 launch from Samsung, uh, you know, they're going to have to deliver a really, really strong product to, uh, um, you know, to sort of stand out head and shoulders above, or or even to to match these because they're both really cool. Well, I, and I think I think we're we're um, not looking at the elephant in the room here, which is that the um, iPhone is really falling behind the pack. I read, a, I read a piece in the Australian Financial Review this morning, which was saying that, you know, looking at the specifications, what you get and so on for your money, that the iPhone is probably the ninth best phone on the market in Australia at the moment. Has it ever been number one? Well, really? uh, uh, apart from when it first. Uh, yeah, it was for years, but for probably for the last couple of years, it's been falling behind, but it's been falling further and further behind. And. Um, you know the thing is, is Apple's going to need to get into a, a faster upgrade cycle. I think if they're going to stay stay with these Android people, the uh, Android market seems to be turning over about once every eight or nine months. So the once a year launch from Apple just isn't cutting anymore. Yeah, I mean, I guess Apple are playing a slightly different, you know, a slightly yeah, different game. And are. and in the Android, you know, space, you got a whole lot of, you know, there is a whole lot of competition. And once. You know, once a new screen becomes technically possible and affordable, you know, we're, you know, we're seeing everyone put these full high definition, well, we're guessing anyway that you know, every manufacturer that can is going to end up with a full high definition screen in a smartphone, which is in many ways it's madness when you think about it. You know, that's the same definition we see on, you know, on a massive you know, 60 inch uh, TV and you've got that uh, you know, on, on the, uh, on the phone, that, uh, phone that you carry. But um, yeah, that, that I'm reasonably happy with that resolution. No, you know, no complaints. I don't know if there's uh, if there's really much further we can go in that space. But yeah, we've got Sony that have gone in with the waterproof uh, thing with the um, 
um, with with the Xperia Z, and also we got to see last week some of the uh, the tablet Z, which we, which we had talked about briefly, but we got to have a hands on with one of the first units in the country, um, and that is a really nice tablet too, right? That's the that same thing. You got brilliant, gorgeous tablet, tablet yeah. waterproof. Uh, this is a nice. The piece OS of was a bit buggy, but uh, we, it was explained away. It was a developer build, but it was it was such a great little tablet, and um, it. it my thing is, I want to be able to be portable. I don't need the power so much as I need good portability and a good device. So a waterproof tablet that's thin and light and looks good is perfect for me. I don't know why I have an iPad. You need a waterproof one in Auckland anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Well, I mean, the, the, the promo video was pretty funny. The guy's sort of showing it off and then, uh, and then they sort of take the camera back or whatever and he slides back in the bath and, the, you know, the, the, the tablet's sort of half, under, you know, half in the water and so on. But um, actually, you know, it, it makes sense to have, you know, devices that can be dropped, devices yep. that can get a little bit wet without, you know, being, being stuffed and so on. They're, they're, these, are, these are good innovations. My, my review for the Xperia Z, which is coming out in Ideologue, tomorrow has me in the shower with my phone just it's on it's it's just great I, I don't know why i would ever actually need to be in the shower with the phone but i like knowing that i can be in the shower with the phone no yeah i think for certain types of <laughs> models that could be a business <laughs> um now a couple of other bits of news over the last few days we've um, had seller.co.nz which i guess has been the you know the closest we've ever seen to any any form of uh, you know competitor to trade me uh, you know they're basically shutting that down as a as an auction site. You know they're taking uh, what was there and and uh, you know reutilizing it. Uh, you know within uh, within the business. What was classifieds, I suppose. Yeah, yeah they're starting um, off with motoring and property and in, inside of NZ Herald and the other papers as a classified system. When did you last go to seller? When I checked for the story, and that's yeah, yeah. only time yeah. I ever go I mean, there. It, it's, they talk about it having somewhere between one and three percent of the you know the auction market. So it's probably about right. Yeah. You know, very very, very little. Um, and the other story that um, that that came through in regards to media, and we were talking about TV before. Um, Sky TV, their big uh, big shareholder and News Limited. Um, has uh, has bailed and sold out. Um, what was it 43 percent yeah, uh, yeah. shareholding that they forty four percent forty three point six seven five. Okay, there yeah. we go. Sim's got the real numbers. Uh, yeah, they confirmed it this morning, and uh, Sky's back on for trades. They halted the trades yesterday. Um, mm. So that's about eight hundred and fifteen million dollars in uh, News Limited's uh, coffers. So yeah, good stuff for them. Well, I think I think news um, are getting out of TV in a number of markets as well, aren't they? Yeah, they're trying to uh, separate their publishing arm and yep. their TV arms. All but the they probably they're probably just realizing that the you know the the longer term future of some of those things won't be as bright as what it is now. Um, you know, you you you'd have to think with the direction uh, you know things are going. There's not going to be as much profit to be made as we move to a um, you know a, a world where where media is consumed. Uh, you know, in, yeah. in different ways. What, what, what I was wondering about, you, you may know this, Sim, is what happens to the content deals that um, Sky have got with news? Uh, I think they've got service uh, agreements through Fox and things yeah. like that overseas. I, I, I was asking the question whether it would affect that, um, uh, their ability to source that content. It, they're adamant it won't. Which makes me think that it will. Yeah, obviously. I think, and I'm thinking things like Super 15 and uh, or Super whatever it is now, rugby and and, mm. and sports coverage and so on. Which Murdoch's got a lot of that tied up. The thing is, though, uh, Sky is the monopoly content, major content 
provider here. Money is money. They're, the content people, if they want in New Zealand right now, have Sky and then to a lesser extent the TV network. So I don't think mm. it'll it'll be a huge Probably change. Probably not going to be an immediate no. change there. Um, and and now the la- the last thing we had on the list, um, Bill, was 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 something you came across from. Uh, uh, from IDC. Now, this is sort of the um, you know the crossover between business and and, and consumer technology. Yeah. Uh, there were some interesting uh, observations that IDC had made in Australia. There was a survey of BYOD users in Australia. So these are these are the the people that uh, support uh, you know being able to bring personal devices yeah. into their into it's, their business environments, which yeah, is becoming yeah. more and more common. It is, and um, and basically they're saying that it's now the mainstream thing to do. It's about sixty percent of Australian businesses now have some form of BYOD going on. Whether it's formal or not is another matter. But the two things came out. The obvious thing about security is a problem. Well, we've all heard that before. That's, yeah. it's, it's, not that the secure, it's not that the technology is insecure. It's that the people are insecure. We know that. That's, that's a given. The interesting thing that for me was that when asked which device people would choose if they, had their, you know, they could choose their own devices... Their favourite was BlackBerry. So who are they asking? Are they asking the you know the CIO or or are they asking, no, the, asking the individual? It's business executives, um, but you know staff. What sort of level are these people at? They, it, it doesn't make that clear, but you mm, get the impression mm. they're business executives. But BlackBerry, you know, yeah, that's um, yeah, that, that's fascinating. And uh, another story there, Sim? Yeah, i just seen this on the NBR right now. Um, we, we haven't got full details here, but it says that TradeMe has uh, sold the daily deal site TreatMe in a management buyout. Um, that's interesting. Just uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess from TradeMe's perspective, it was, it was actually a very small property for them. And, you know, they're, they're the sort of entity that I guess wants to have big things that can make mega profits. And uh, you know my pick is it just wasn't really a distraction. Uh, I would you know, say, yeah. yeah, it was a bit too much of a distraction. They weren't making a, 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 yeah. a big enough return on it. So and, and uh, daily deals, the the whole idea of daily deals is completely slowed down. Yeah. And even in the US with Groupon, it's not doing it nearly as well as when it started. And the it's market's a retreat big time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, mm. So it get, it makes sense to for trading to divest off this what we're calling distraction here. Yeah, but for a couple of. You know, two or three blokes in a small office somewhere. It's quite a nice little business. It might work well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that wraps us up for this week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, for listening in. We have uh, we have something else uh, special coming um, coming through in the next little while, but um, that we'll we'll leave we'll leave it at that. That's um, that's all we're saying. Uh, now, Sim, we can uh, we can catch you online on uh, on Twitter. Yep, uh, that's uh, at Semantics, S-I-M-Antics, or you can see my writing at uh, stoppress.co.nz or idealog.co.nz, and I'll have the Sony Xperia Z reviews on in Idealog tomorrow. Oh, very cool. And Bill? BillBennett.co.nz, and I'm BillBennettNZ on Twitter. And I, I should probably mention that we've started talking a bit on Google Plus recently. Oh, that's true. That's true. We've just set up a little. Um, there, there's a new communities feature within uh, within Google Plus, so we've set up a NZ Tech uh, community. So uh, Come any, and join us. Anyone that wants to have a chit chat with Bill and me and Sim and any, anyone else, um, yeah, we're we're just trying it out to see uh, you know to see whether it's a useful uh, you know environment for having a community. Um, you know, of course. 
most of these sort of online things that are done there could probably just as easily be done um, on GeekZone, which has you know has a you know huge base and 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 a lot more to it. Uh, but we thought it'd be fun just to have a bit of an experiment. So if anyone else is on Google Plus, uh, you can certainly feel free to add us and uh, um, and and uh, NZ Tech Podcast, and also uh, to to jump in and have a look at that NZ uh, Tech. Uh, sort of discussion group, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, like we say, it's, it's pretty experimental now, but, mm. but Google Plus seems to be getting some kind of momentum going. Um, in But it tends to be within certain interest groups. Well, the scale of Google sort of guaranteed that, yeah. you know, people are going to look. And, uh, yeah, I guess there'll be certain areas where uh, where they're going to get a bit more traction than others. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, you can track me down, of course, as well online. Uh, Paul Spain is my, uh, my Twitter handle. Uh, and uh, my blogging is at techjungle.com uh, primarily. I'm also on paulspain.com. Uh, and you can find um, find us for the podcast at nztechpodcast.com uh, and also uh, NZ Tech Podcast on, on Facebook and Twitter and, and Google. So that's it. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Bye. <laughs>